the football pod. Booing and the jeering and the anticipation. And then as he strikes it, there's that intake of breath because he puts the bloody ball 14 uh, yards beyond. The, the second he hits it, I knew we were under pressure. Like. Subscribe to the football pod on the OTB Sports app now. And you're very welcome back to the show. We are turning to GEA. The curtains come down on the 2022 inter-county season in the men's football and hurling. Still the ladies' football and the camogie finals to come. And then, of course, the club season will take centre stage. To reflect on the men's inter-county, well, football year in particular that was, we're joined by Mick Foley of the Sunday Times. We have Morris Brosnan of the 42 and we have Colm Keyes of the Irish Independent. Gents, you're all very welcome. Uh, we might start with an obvious point in the, is that, that we're having this conversation uh, mid-July. Alan Dillon, the former Mayo player and Fine Gael TD, was voicing concerns. He's one of several, I suppose, voicing concerns over the July finish. To give you a sense of what he was saying, he said, uh, Alan Dillon here, too early in the year for the senior football and hurling championships to be finished. Uh, the race for Sam Maguire, Lee McCarthy this year, brilliant, along with the inaugural Talchin Cup. They kept us enthralled and excited for the last few months. So why lock away your best shows for almost half a year? It simply doesn't make sense. And he goes on to talk about how supportive he is of the club game. And he is very much a club man. But he says we won't have any more inter-county action until next January at the earliest, more than five months away. In the meantime, other sports get the attention and coverage the GA would normally have achieved throughout August and September. And He's pushing for a finish date in August or September. So we might get the ball rolling on that point, Colm. It's been a big talking point all year and that it's done and dusted. What are we to say of it? Well, I would think the split season, Joe, is here to stay. Uh, I think it's worked out pretty well, notwithstanding that it is over quite quite soon and quite sudden, but that was always going to be the way. Um, I think uh, from a couple of points of view, uh, probably... There is, to my mind, probably a two-week tweak here. And I might have said that to you even last January. I know we had this discussion. Um, There may be a two-week tweak here where everything can just be balanced ever so slightly. But the idea that we're going back to September or even the end of August with this, I don't think will happen. And I don't think it probably should happen either because from what I gather, players and managers have, those involved in inter-county football have really have enjoyed it. They've enjoyed being able to break off earlier and they're the participants. They're the ones that are, you know, investing their time and commitment to all of that. I do think from a club point of view, there hasn't been a sufficient adjustment yet and there may not be a sufficient adjustment either. And that's where I think the two weeks come in. I think that if you push it out by two weeks, you know, you're allowing, you're allowing, uh, you're allowing the, the leagues to start maybe a week a week later and you're also allowing then the third level competitions to be given a little bit more time and I do think and I know you have to you have to factor in Cork right you take them as the biggest county with the most enlarged championships and you have to put them into the whole picture so how long does it take to complete their program and it's around 13 or 14 weeks and you work back from that so maybe by putting the All-Ireland Club semi-finals just back into January and the All-Ireland Club final obviously in January again, allowing the Sigerson and Fitzgibbon Cups with a little bit more breathing space and starting the league just a week later and maybe extending it out next year because I think it will be pretty frantic next year with the three um, round-robin games in Tolchin Cup and in Sam Maguire. Uh, I do think there will be a few pinch points there and there are a few pinch points as, at present. But I think overall... The split season has worked well. I know people will miss August uh, and the big games and all of that. And there are, you know, some concerns about the promotion of the game. But 
the, it's a participation sport and you must give the, the majority of the participants their time at the right time of the year. And the right time of the year for that is August, September and October. And if there is a little bit of an overlap just at the beginning of August next year, I don't think anyone would complain too much about that. It'd be interesting to see what the crowds are like. Um, with regard to publicity and re- with regard to coverage and all of that, yes, it's a bit fast paced and all of that. But you must remember, it's not much shorter than the season would have been anyway, because there were six weeks there in April and well into May where there was no intercounty games either. Uh, prior to prior to the COVID years in 2018, 2019, when everything was realigned. So there are almost, there's only slightly less weekends and therefore slightly less coverage perhaps. But overall, it has, it has worked. It has worked reasonably well. I think there's a bit of work to be done by counties with their club programmes to align that. And I think by maybe adding or stretching it out two weeks. And I don't think there's a great urgency. I don't sense an urgency among the J officials to to even make that small change. But I do think it would be beneficial all around just to squeeze it by a week or two more and take it into August and release those pinch points that are going to come next year. Mm. Where are you, Mick? Yeah, I kind of agree with most all of that, really. Like, I mean... You know, you know, you, you you can't the GA can't sort of um, budget for things that are going to happen into the future too much. Like you can't really budget for, well, you certainly can't budget for Ireland winning a, a rugby tour or rugby series below in New Zealand for the very first time on the same weekend as an All Ireland hurling final. But you can sort of you could definitely have budgeted for an Irish golfer being up the leaderboard in the Open, something like that. And I do agree. I think like, even if they just nudged out the hurling final, let's say, to, to this Sunday gone by and the football final to this coming Sunday now, for example, um, I think that would give you enough wriggle room just to sort of let the whole thing breathe a little bit. Um, yeah. And I think, look, at uh, the other thing as well is like, you know, the season, yes, the season, the intercounty season is over, but the real proof of the pudding in this won't be until the full season is over and see how the club thing works out. Uh, Cullum's 100% right. Like, I mean, at the root cause of all of this, like, is trying to create more space for club players to play their games. But for that to work, county boards have to get it right. They have to get their fixture fixture schedule right. They have to get their structures right. They have to get all those elements in place as well for this to work. Um, So, like, you know, over, you know, in bits and bobs over the last year or four months, you have people sprinting out to say this is right or wrong or this is working or it's not working. Can't say it's working or not working until at least the end of this year and probably the end of next year. Like for years, we gave out about issues around the, 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 the calendar and so on and so forth. And they finally done something about it, right? Whether it's right or wrong, at least they'll learn anyway what's, what works, what doesn't work. Um, and we can move along with that. But as Colin says, I mean, the notion of going back to September and all that carry on, that ship is sailed, lads. That's gone. Mm. Morris, maybe a week or two tweaking. Is that what your sense is as well? I imagine so, Joe. Yeah, I think uh, the two boys nailed the the crux of the issue there. I would say that, like the, I find it interesting how quickly people are to, you know, in some places outright dismiss players' concerns on this issue. And this, I to be honest, I think this conversation probably belongs at the end of the year. Uh, as Larry McCarthy was at pains to mention, the season is not over. The intercounty season is over, but we have we have six months of this more. Where maybe you can make an assessment and tweak it then. But I do definitely think, like at the crux of this is is players' concerns. You know, this is. I heard Roy Grugan speak on your show last week about this. Um, I asked Tommy Doyle about this. Players seem broadly in favour of it. It's my understanding GPA are currently serving players about this as well. Maybe those results will point us in a better direction. But at the, you know, promotion is obviously very relevant. All these kind of, kind of talks about we're all looking at a very barren August. I fully appreciate all those concerns. But if you're going to build a hierarchy, the priority has to be players' concerns. And that should probably steer. So 
you know, I, th- I think this conversation probably should happen at the end of the year when we've had a, a year to make a kind of broader assessment, see how the club season goes. I'd, other than, I think Kevin Donovan is on the record to say Cork would find it very difficult to fill, fill like a club campaign if even we did a two-week split. So that has to be taken into consideration as well. But yeah, as I say, I think this, this conversation belongs maybe in December when we've seen a full club campaign, a full inter-county campaign and seen how it all works. Okay. To the football year that was then a brief, very brief synopsis of the provincials, we had Galway beating Mayo and Connacht, which was an early jolt there. And then it was smooth sailing thereafter in Munster. It was very routine for Kerry. Uh, Leinster, Dublin Cruise as well, like the five goals in the Leinster final against Kildare really killed that one early and that was painfully anticlimactic. And then Ulster, I guess, held up its end of the bargain as is increasingly uh, traditional. Tyrone uh, collapsed, which gave us something. And then Derry beat Monaghan, Tyrone and of course Donegal in a final where, um, well, it was somewhere between boring and intriguing, depending on your perspective, I suppose. So what are we just saying, make of the provincials once again? Yeah, meh. I yeah. would say moving the word <laughs> meh like Munster Leinster nothing to see here um, Ulster to me Ulster was a, a, a competition of stories rather than great matches like off the top of my head no I was thinking about it this morning mm. how many good games were there really no good games were there and I can think of four overall like you know Armagh Galway was a terrific game Dublin Kerry was a very good game the final was a very good game and Galway Mayo was a very good game. You mentioned the Ulster final there. It really does seem to depend where you were, your location for that match. If you were at it, it was a dinger. But if you had, if you were sitting through it on television, you just wanted to go out the back and scream. Mm. So, like, it, you know, wh- where do you go with that? I think in terms of Ulster, I think the story of Derry, tr- terrific, just fantastic what they achieved. Um, and of course, with that become, comes more sort of focus on how they play the game and so on and so forth. Uh, and I wouldn't be critical at all of how they play the game. To be brutally honest, I don't think there's a, I don't think there's a right way or a wrong or a wrong way to play football. It's up to the other crowd to deal with. It. And Derry found out themselves in an All Ireland semi final that they'll have to evolve their game anyhow. Like the story of Tyrone is a great story as you mentioned. The story even of you know Donegal, what happened there, and Armagh of course, Armagh again kind of you know I suppose by their standards failing in Ulster and coming back again during the qualifiers to finish the year in the same way as we saw them at the beginning of the league with the beat Dublin, which is a coming team evolving, developing um, and, and coming to something. Connacht Championship, I mean, the Connacht Championship was always going to be interesting this year. It's going to be even more interesting next year now uh, between be, between uh, Galway Mayo and Roscommon as well. As I say, you got, I mean, Galway Mayo was a terrific game at the start of the year. It set out to stall for Galway as well going forward. Uh, and, you know, I, I suppose in a way it set out to stall for Mayo as well in terms of what what issues they were going to fo- they were going to face up to as as the competition got stiffer. So if you're asking me specifically about the provincials, as I say, meh would be the word I'd say. Yeah, it's hard to argue. Uh, what column about mixed uh, general feeling? Four games which really got the blood pumping across the football championship. Armagh, Galway, Dublin, Kerry, Galway, Mayo and the final Kerry, Galway. Beyond that, much ado about nothing. I'd probably throw Donegal Armagh uh, in the in the qualifiers. I think I'd put that in there. I was at that myself and I enjoyed that. That was... Uh, there was there was plenty in that. Uh, it's always it's always uh, something when two Ulster teams, well matched Ulster teams, go at each other in qualifiers. It's very very often a different game. I always remember the in two thousand and five, uh, Tyrone and Armagh played two Ulster finals in Croke Park, and they were they were really really poor. Nick, you know, 
really poor games. And then they come out and everybody's expecting a third installment in the trilogy of, of what went on before. And they produce a classic. Oh. And in some ways, the uh, the Armagh-Donegal-Ulster match dragged on a little bit. But I thought there was so much in that uh, in that game in Clonus, uh, just the way it went away from Donegal and Armagh's performance that day in the second half once they got on top. And I suppose Tyrone, Tyrone and Armagh as well, that had a little bit. So after those four games that Mick mentioned, you'd, you'd probably place those. And, and also Monaghan and Derry, even though there was slow burn in it, but there was plenty of slow burn in pedestrian football in the All-Ireland final uh, last last Sunday when you look back at it too. I mean, the play does slow down. There is pause. Um, and that's that's the intriguing category, isn't it? That's yeah, uh, sure got is. into the intriguing category. <laughs> Incredibly war, intriguing. Incredibly. I think it's uh, I think that's, it's I think the mix between strategic and instinctive football now is you're looking for that mix. You're not going to get an end to end breathless uh, football at breakneck speed all the time, but you are getting enough that when there are turnovers and when there is when there is an urgency to go and chase down a game as there was. You know, for Armagh after a bad start uh, against against Tyrone that day, and obviously Monan had to come out after concession of goals against Derry. When there is an urgency, things free up a little bit. And some of those, some of those Ulster games, and particularly those qualifier games between Ulster counties, were 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 next in line. So there was a little bit more maybe than than those four games. But you'd have to say when the action got to Croke Park, it got altogether better. And I thought last Sunday was just brilliant to watch. Two players going head to head like that as they did, and there was a lot in the in the semi final between Dublin and Kerry. I don't put it. I don't put that game up there beside twenty thirteen or twenty sixteen semi final. No I just have it. I have it. I have it. I have it a level below that. Hmm. Yeah. Mick, were we ever getting seven, eight, nine good games a year? Oh God, you're testing my memory now. Uh, like. You know, just to, like I suppose to kind of qualify what I'm saying. Like, mm. I mean, if if you look at the issue always with the championship, you know, and I hate to go down this road of structures, but the issue with the championship always is the mismatches, right? And when you get teams uh, that are of inferior quality to another crowd and they go out and there, it's damage limitation, and that kind of style of football seeps into other elements of 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 the competition and other and other teams, and then you have an issue. It's always the way, like when you get well matched teams put together on a given day, the game is generally going to be pretty good. You know, it's going to be pretty good. And the All-Ireland Final, I mean, if you look over the All-Ireland Finals of the last bunch of years, I mean, there's been very few that have been bad or not interesting or not of a high quality. I mean, Sunday was a terrific game. And I mean, everything, if you want to talk about inverted commas, modern football, uh, is, is the game in good health? Well, Sunday would suggest that it's in good health. Mm. You know, it's a completely different game from what we're talking about or from what, from what might have been there some years before, but then what was there some years before was totally different from what was there a generation before that again. So that that's irrelevant. You're just looking, is this is this entertaining? And it, and it's, you know, is there an element of spectacle? Is there an element of intelligence in the football? And there 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 isn't there was. And that comes when you put good teams matched up against each other, well matched. You know, we got a touch of that in the Talshin Cup as well in terms of putting teams together that should be playing against each other at that level. You know, it shows what the football championship can become and will become now under this new, under this new system. I think you're going to have far more good games, far better matches because you're going to get teams that are that should be playing each other more regularly and more often, mm. and who won't be afraid of each other. They're going to go out. Teams are going to go out, even if they're you know, it's a inherently defensive team mindset. Like 
they're still going to go out thinking we can have a crack off the other crowd. They're going to believe they can win and they will have more. It'll be more likely for teams to have a crack off the other crowd. So, Morris, to what extent here is making ungrateful, uh, grumpy old man? Um, there's, pro- <laughs> there's probably there's two elements to that I would say. Like the, just to circle back, this actually links their conversation briefly, Joe. If you go back to the, the t- talk about the split season, you know, Rather than talk about maybe what the promotion damage that does to the game, I would kind of like to focus on can we promote the game while it is on. So there was, I thought there was good games in the early rounds of championship this year. Right, you know, Wicklow and Leash stands out to me as an absolute shootout. You know, if it goes in an opening round of Leinster championship game, but nobody saw that game, so it probably doesn't live long in the memory. Um, the first game that went to penalty this year was Clare and Limerick. That was a really competitive, really tight game. But unless you had access to, you know, a dodgy periscope link, you don't get to see that game and. Therefore, you don't, you know, get to celebrate it, and it skews your perception of the championship as a result. So, mm. if maybe the, you know, I thought we'd built up an infrastructure over the last two years to actually stream these games, and we seem to have gone back to, you know, regress to worse than what, what we had previously. So, if we been able to see those games, I think there's probably an element of that. I also think just on the on the second point about the quality of games, you know, I, I am far from a back in the day kick and catch, you know, belover, but. I do think that we've probably saw for the first time in my lifetime anyway a decline in the standard of football over the last two years. And it's only, it's understandable, I think it was probably COVID introduced, you know, you had less collective training sessions. So as a result, you probably have less time to work on structures, less kind of cohesion, just inbuilt teams. That doesn't mean the games weren't entertaining, by the way, but, you know, I just look at the the turnover rate, the wide rate, the quality of, particularly last year, lads, because the quality of some of the games we saw, while they were good, you know, I kind of maintained that the final and both semi-finals was was fairly low quality stuff. Whereas I actually think this year now we've finally seen a, a drastic improvement. You know, Kerry's last game of the last year was a semi-final against Tyrone. They had 35 turnovers in that game, 30 in the attacking third. You know, you fast forward to a final this year, they had 11 turnovers. I think they had seven in the attacking third, two dropped into a goalkeeper's hands. The other five, they were very shrewd. They were fouled directly after each one of those five turnovers. So that's a team getting smarter. That's a team building kind of cohesion. It leads to probably a better you know, overall element of quality and that's what we get to see at a weekend like that. So even small little bits of quality in that game, I thought, you know, you look at Patrick Kelly flicking the ball up off the ground or Stephen Bryant jumping on people's boots, the, the standard of blocks. I just think we've finally seen, and again, as I say, it's understandable, we a two-year break because of COVID, but we've finally seen an improvement in overall standard of play as well as um, entertaining games, albeit some of them were, were off the beaten track. Yeah, I guess off the beaten track is a big part of it, Mick, and not least when the early stages of the hurling is so compelling because their round robin fizzes from minute one. Yeah, well, that's that's just the nature, and again, it goes back to structure. I mean, you've got you've got teams that should be playing each other from the get go in in the hurling championship coming up against each other in games that mean something. Uh, whereas with the provincial championships, you have the mismatches that I'm talking about that yeah. drag down the just drag down the vibe, and that's not the fault of the teams. Like the teams are doing what they can; they're doing they're putting their best foot forward and trying to do what's best for them. It's just the nature of the competition in football. And it was like, since the round, since the round Robin has come in in the Hurling Championship, it's been like that. That, you know, Hurling has owned the first half of the season and football has rather taken over. I think even if you look at the number of Hurling games that was on in, in the first couple of months of the season compared to, you know, half dozen or whatever in the last five or six weeks um, compared to how the football goes the other direction, that's that's going to happen, you know. But I'm not being a grumpy old man, by the way. I'm being a grumpy young man, if anything. But but like, kind of generally, you know, I you know, I, I would say it's been it's been a it's been a good season. It's been a fine season. Yeah. It's just that, you know, I mean, you know, we've we've all talked around it there now. We've probably gotten up to seven or eight games that we could all even just you know, as a consensus, and that's 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 okay out of the number of games that that were played, but. Again, it's not, it's just, it's just the structure. It's the structure and changing the structure is going to improve that number. 
Uh, to take up Mick, yeah. Mick's point, I mean, the end of the league, the end of the league, there was some there was some great storylines. Obviously, Dublin were on the rack. I covered Monaghan, uh, Monaghan beating them up in uh, up in Clonus on the last day of the league. And OK, Dublin shrugged their shoulders and, and moved on. But it was still an asterisk to their season that they uh, that they were relegated from Division One. And the previous week, cracking game between Kerry and Armagh, there must have been 14 or 15,000 uh, in in the athletic grounds that day. And again, they're evenly matched teams. Well, much more evenly matched teams than maybe what you get in the provincial championships. And you produce good games. Obviously, it's the league and Dublin moved up a level. I un- understand all that. But it goes back to last October and the decision not to run with the proposal to flip the league into championship. Uh, I still think that will be on the table in five or six years' time once the provincial championships next year will start to deplete because they're going to be run off in from from probably early April, from probably early April to early May. I would say five weekends at most, possibly four mm. provincial championships will be done and dusted before you go into uh, the round robin series for Sam Maguire and Tolton Cup. So that'll be looking at big, big change. And I think slowly but surely the provincial championships value will will erode even even though they they didn't for Derry this year you have to uh, accept that 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 was a terrific win for them to beat the teams that they beat three division one teams I think was one of the highlights of the season for for, for any team it's right up there anyway mm. uh, having not won it for for 24 years the way they came so that was a very noteworthy achievement no doubt Clare's comeback against Roscommon obviously full of drama but it, it was an odd occasion because Crow Park was so empty which was another aspect across uh, a couple of games where you were having these matches in front of virtually nobody at Crow Park uh, we also uh, Morris have games being finished now I suppose routinely-ish uh, via penalties are we okay with that? I think so yeah like I, Ron Agar was very interested on in your programme with this last week it is obviously a skill of the game the, the lottery conversation is probably not one that we need to have here um, I don't. I don't think this is a side effect of the split season. Actually, it isn't the side effect of the split season. We talked about this a lot in in 2019 when it first came in. Um, you had situations in Antrim where you had chairman walking onto the pitch to call a halt to penalties. So there's always been a, a reluctance to it, but there also has been the, the element of it. So I think it's probably as good as way as any. I remember watching, you know, hurling try the the shootout from the 65 and it was just there was no entertainment appeal to it it was very kind of sterile so I think it's you know as somebody who was there at the Galway Armagh game I was absolutely enthralled by it I thought it was brilliant um, so I think it is as good as way as any to decide on the day and it just creates a better flow of fixtures as well if we're not going to be coming back for a replay so if this is the way we want to go with it I think it's the it's the best of a bad lot basically mm. Where are you in it Mick? Yeah, about the same like I mean if, if and the crucial point is the, is, the, is Morris's final line there if if, if this is the system. If this is the schedule in the calendar that Jay want, well then there's no room for replays and there's no room for uh, there's there's just there's just not the space. I'm actually going to play him on a Wednesday night or something. I have no issue with penalties whatsoever. No, I thought as 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 Mara said, I mean the Armagh Galway Galway thing was a great spectacle. It's always you know there is an element of. Of of the gladiators or the Christians being eaten by the lions, all right though, when you're sitting back and you're you're enthralled, and the lads are just going through hell below, you know, and the guys who miss it, of course, you know. But look at that's the nature of penalty shoots. Yeah, I did wonder, Colm, if at a certain point in the season, and maybe from that stage where Armagh Galway met, that we should allow for replays. I mean, if we're starved of games where we have decent teams of a similar standard coming up against each other often enough, then by definition, we're passing up on the opportunity there to see. Armagh Galway all over again 
I wouldn't have a big issue with penalties, but it is probably it is probably a factor if you're allowing it for an All Ireland final. Well, then maybe you make the distinction for semi-finals too. There is that, but if you are allowing for it, you're also allowing for the fact that there's only one week between a semi-final and a final because that's not going back to three weeks. Personally, I think I'd extend extra time by a little bit more, maybe five minutes more, two and a half minutes more, because generally. There's a caution, there's a conservatism about extra time that almost almost leads it to penalties. There's almost a there's almost a fear there among teams that they give the ball away. They don't really go for it as much in in extra time. Um, so I, I I might just extend uh, extra time uh, and allow for maybe another substitute or two in game in that extra period because you know you're going to be broadening the squads next year because of the volume of games that little bit. So. Uh, I think it it could cater for that. Wouldn't be against replays for semi-finals, except that you're only giving the winners, the eventual winners, one week to prepare for an All Ireland final. Mm. And I think ultimately, when that when that would become the reality, uh, that would create a lot of difficulties for the county and also for the players. So it's not ideal, but it's still. I mean, let's face it, we all enjoyed the penalty shootout, and Galway hit their four superbly. Uh, all great strikers of the ball. So there is. There is a skill there, as Morris said, and there is a nerve there and all of that. Um, but I think I'd probably just extend extra time by a little bit more first. Only about five minutes. Because, Colin, one of the arguments or we, we threw around in here was, well, you know, this isn't a low-scoring game like, say, uh, football, soccer, in that eventually you're just going to have to call time and go to penalties. There will be scores in extra time in Gaelic football. And if you just set a target of first team to get to three points or first team to get to four points you will get there. Whereas, you know, you could play another two hours in soccer and you might still not have another goal. You'd have to allow for wind factor there, I suppose. Uh, Joe, I wouldn't like to be playing over so- over in Salt Hill, let's say, and uh, be playing into the into the, into the the Salt Hill end. The coin uh, toss would be crucial there. <laughs> and getting up to, getting, racing up to four there before and you, you reach the magic figure and you, you, be, you could be there in five minutes and it's all, it's all over there because obviously that's a factor. That you you must you must change ends and play both sides. So I don't think that's I don't think that's all all that realistic to have the the golden score or anything like that because of the wind factor at so many venues and even in Croke Park, uh, coming in from the hill end you could get any kind of breeze coming over the hill yeah, there. So. I hadn't thought of that. I suppose it's a bit tiresome to change ends every point, isn't it? It probably is. <laughs> it probably is. But I, look, I, initially when winner on the day came in a couple of years back, a few yeah. years back, there was. Uh, it was 10 minutes of extra time. And if it was still level after 10 minutes of extra time, there was an extra five minutes each side after that. Now, that's probably too long. But maybe just to extend the first segment of extra time by a little bit to see can you determine a winner and then go to penalties. I know you're dragging games up to well beyond 100 minutes at that stage, but you know you can expand to the number of replacements maybe by one in extra time. Currently, it's three. You can change the whole team. Uh, and put out a new team, obviously at uh, at full time. But uh, maybe if you allowed for one more substitute and brought it up to fifteen minutes of extra, uh, twenty five minutes or half an hour of extra time, half an hour of extra time, I think you'd probably, I think you'd probably get winners out of that, more winners, and take it away from penalties. Okay, we're going to take a very short break. Column keys of the Irish Independent, Mars Brosnan from the Forty Two and Mick Foley of the Sunday Times, staying with us. You're very welcome back. So we're chatting through the uh, season that was, the football season that was in the men's football. Mick Foley of the Sunday Times, Morris Brosnan of the 42 and Colin Keyes of the Irish Independent are with us. Mick, the most redundant question of the year is probably footballer of the year. Oof. Yeah. 
No big calls for, yeah, no, I'm not even going to mention other players, no. <laughs> uh, David Clifford, sure, obviously, obviously. Um, and, you know, look, sure, what can, you, what can you say about the guy? I mean, when you when you consider that he, he did what he did whilst injured as well for a spell in the middle of the season, a key spell in the middle, uh, he had a great year. And, you know, I, I'm not sure, like, you know, when you look at how Kerry won the All-Ireland, you know, in my mind, they kind of won the All-Ireland um, correcting the things that didn't that they couldn't do to the required level in previous years, which you couldn't say that's the case for David Clifford, but it just shows you how I suppose when you get your defence right, it does liberate it does liberate the rest of your team, and it does it does give your your best players the, the stage and the platform to do their best work, like you know. And uh, I mean, look, the last day, the last day in the All Ireland final. What struck me about him um, really was, I mean, far beyond just the, the otherworldly skill of the man. It, it was just the mentality, you know. And this is nothing new to anybody who's been watching him. I, I, I appreciate that. But just the mind, just the, 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 the peace of mind to, to take two marks in the first half uh, when Kerry just weren't firing. The, the groove, they just didn't have the groove in, in the attack. And he, he had the peace of mind just to call down a couple of marks on himself, tap him over the bar, keep it ticking, just keep the show on the road. And then when the moment came, when he had to strike uh, the real clutch scores, he was there as well. I mean, mm. you know, it's just exceptional. Like, I mean, we're going to run out of stuff to say about him fairs fast. You know? It'd be very hard to keep writing new original pieces about him for the next 15 years. So, Colm, over the next five years, how many All-Irelands do Kerry win? Uh, I don't believe it'll be a dynasty like they enjoyed for the minor teams. Obviously, they were all different different minor teams that went from year to year. They'll certainly win... win one Joe and it may not be next year but it could be the year after or the year after that and they might get to but I think I think the landscape has changed I see Tyrone coming back strong if if not next year but probably next year and then when they integrate Rory Cav- Rory Canavan's group and some of their current some of their current minor team too will be well capable over a three to four year period of stepping up and replacing all those players that uh that moved away and I expect we'll see one or two of those back for, for next season too I think that Tyrone will repair well I think Dublin will be Dublin have got into a consistent mode there and I think as long as they've Brian Fenton and Kieran Kilkenny especially uh, driving things on they will be they will be a force so I think that the I don't see Kerry being that far ahead of everyone else. I do think they will win another one. Like I probably said the same thing in 2014 because in 2014 they won the All-Ireland and Gooch was out and he was coming back the following year and you made that assumption that everything would return as it was and Tommy Walsh coming out of uh, Australia as well coming back in 2015 you would have really projected that Kerry would win at least one or two more in the years that followed and and they didn't and Dublin dominated but I don't think there will be any dominant team uh, I do think they will settle they'll enjoy this there will be liberation next year but the big goal out there I think privately is will be for Kerry and they can only play who comes up against them but no All-Ireland final win over Tyrone or Dublin would be a big goal for the group and for Kerry football because just I'm pretty sure it hasn't happened without it hasn't happened since 1986 when they beat Tyrone they haven't beaten Mm -hmm. Dublin since 1985 it's been it's been uh, Mayo Cork Donegal and and Galway that they've beaten in All-Ireland finals since they've lost to Tyrone 
in all Ireland finals. They've obviously beaten them in semi-finals. So somewhere out there, there probably is uh, there probably is a motivation there for Kerry to to come back to. Obviously, they'll come back and they want to be they want to maximise their potential. But just just it, it'd be the last box to take maybe to beat one of those in all Ireland final. Morris, I haven't heard anyone really uh, talk of Kerry Dynasty here. The most anyone is kind of venturing is maybe two across the next five years. Which I probably agree with, to be honest. I think the, it's probably the most exciting thing about looking forward to getting football over the next couple of years is how even the the landscape is and how many teams would look. I, wish, I you know, I probably, I actually think that maybe Galway have set a template in the same way a lot of people would have talked about Tyrone last year in terms of the scope of what is attainable. Like a lot of people will look at Galway and think we could definitely achieve that within a year. I probably actually reckon, Joe, it's it's one of the undertold elements of the year because of Kerry's success is the turnaround in Galway from, you know, the mood around the county or even around the camp at the start of the year versus what it is now. And I think Park Joyce does a huge amount of credit just for, for getting everybody back on the right track, for making necessary changes to his backroom team, for, you know, just improving the gradual mood, getting in, you know, interesting guest speakers, getting people like Ron Nogar to in around the group and getting everybody on the same page, to, ticking a tactical box like Keen O'Neill. Galway probably got to an Ireland final with a, you know, a core group of 16 you could maybe maybe maintain. Um, now, from their perspective, there's huge scope for improvement. Again, you, you bring back in, you know, Conor Flaherty was a goalkeeper during the league. He comes back in. Sean McCurran, a fullback, frees up Sean Cottage to come out the field. You look around the county and you've got proven inter-county quality playing club football who could come back in. So Galway would be very you know very much optimistic about their future but I also think there's a lot of teams will look at Galway like Armagh um, Mayo Donegal Monaghan and think we could absolutely be in their shoes next year we could an Ireland final is very much attainable for us and once you're there you know you're in the 65th minute the game is level and a crucial free goes against you and that might, might swing it but from their perspective as much as as Kerry are there to be got it I think a lot of teams could say we could get there and we could run them close as well Make such a strange Dublin season, like a truly bizarre league campaign. You know, it was kind of the story of the league with each uh, consecutive defeat. And then they rally somewhat and they lose to Kerry minus Con and by the narrowest of margins. And now the sense is, or the rumour is, that maybe Desi is heading off into the sunset, but subject to confirmation. So what do we say of the dubs in this rather bizarre year? Well, I think, yeah, you know, when it was unfolding that league, you kind of just got the sense that number one, right, you gotta give these guys some degree of the benefit of the doubt here. Like I mean, Desi, it's his first it's his first proper full season as well, you know, post COVID, whatever. It's the first time that they've had a full season to have a look at what they have. And they've obviously, you know, they've had losses, they've had injuries to deal with. He's trying to develop a bench basically through the league. Um and does it work? Does it not work? He certainly found a couple of players, you could say, during the league, even though they got relegated. Leinster Championship goes the way it goes. But the one thing I thought about the Leinster Championship from the Dublin perspective was that they were playing with that precision and accuracy and speed that it didn't really matter who they were playing against. They would have won those games. Maybe not as, you know, maybe not as comfortably as they did in Leinster, but they were, they were doing all the right stuff, you know. Uh, Cork game was very similar to how Kerry played Cork. They just dead by a thousand cuts. Um, they didn't even bother. I don't think really trying for goals. They just just kicked their points and mm. and and got the semi final. And what struck me about the semi final then, when Con wasn't there, I mean the spirit number one. And I don't want to sound patronising because you can talk about spirit and all this kind of stuff. It can you know for a team like Dublin, it can sound a little bit ridiculous. But just they were they were incredibly resilient, uh, and they they didn't back off at any stage in the game. And I, you know I I would be among those who would believe that if it had gone to extra time, I think Dublin would have would have outlasted them. I think they might have won it. Um, 
equally, I think you know there was opportunity towards the end of the game as well if they had been handled slightly differently. Like if you'd rolled, if you'd rolled the, the the clock back four or five years, I'm not sure, not sure Sean O'Shea would have got that chance at the end to win the game. To be honest, mm. um, so all those things put together. Um, I think it's. I, I I think there's enough there for Dublin going forwards to kind of consider themselves obviously serious contenders again next year. And whether Desi, if Desi, you know, has a mind to stay, he should certainly be given the option to stay because you know, as I say, this really was their first proper season mm. um, in 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 a proper championship in a proper league to have a look where where, where they're going. You know, Morris, do they still? Let's presume Desi stays for a moment. Do they still? Do they look like a team to you that's on the decline? Well, they win the Ireland if Conor Callum's fit, don't they? I think there's probably a consensus that they, they beat Kerry and they're probably a better team than Galway on paper. So it's a pretty fine margin to, to make a grand assessment of them. I, just on your point, though, Joe, I do think when you look at, you know, if we, we give an overall sense of the year, one of the standout performances or moments for me was watching, you know, a warrior like James McCarthy just, you know, his, with defiance that at times kind of defied logic. Mm. And, uh, I don't know if you have if you can replace that if there is the reserves if you know you hope and pray that he stays around and he has a similar ability in him again but trying to replace that as we've learned by the players who've already left this setup it's not an easy thing to do so if if they leave I think it's probably natural that they are on the decline I don't know to what extent that is they're on the decline from one of the all-time great teams to yeah. still a very very competitive team but in overall sense you know they're they're still going absolutely nowhere. Conor Callan comes back into that team next year and they're still an absolute fear. They're probably going to be the second favourite to the All-Ireland. Yeah. Uh, Colin, where are we in that you know general uh, refrain of the last number of years that, geez, the way it's going, they've harnessed demographics, they've they've harnessed uh, what's available financially and they're going to win four, five, six out of every decade and we're doomed. Are we as um, fearful of that now, do you think, Colin? Uh, prob- probably not, but that's not to say that they can come and surge, surge again. Uh, I, I would think they will be There'll always be a top four team in football. There isn't any doubt. I'd have no doubt about that. That uh, they will always find. Certainly, certainly, there's no Conor Callahan or no Kieran Kilkenny. No obvious Kieran Kilkenny. Now Brian Fenton wasn't the most obvious. Uh, 2014 into 2015, maybe, maybe for some, but there was other midfielders at the time, as I recall, that were probably ahead of him, or at least it felt like they were ahead of him. So he came, you know, in his 21st year, he came really strong into his 22nd year. So there is. You know, there is scope for players to, ve- to develop all the time. And it's a very competitive club scene uh, in Dublin, too. So you will always produce players of a high standard. But those those real A-listers, well, I don't think there's any on the horizon there, which which has brought them back to the pack. But when you consider uh, when you consider in 2019 that Kerry took basically the same Kerry team, took Dublin to a replay, albeit there was a man, Johnny Cooper had been sent off in the drawing game. But that Dublin team had Stephen Cluxton, Paul Mannion, Jack McCaffrey and Conor Callaghan. And yet, three years on, Kerry are struggling. They need an extraordinary kick to uh, to win that semi-final. So if you chart it like that, have Kerry really gone off on a different trajectory over the last three years? Probably not. So, uh, you know, the expectation would have been that Kerry would really set off ahead of them. That that hasn't happened. Mm. But structurally, Dublin will, will always be strong. Um, they will always have those resources, both playing and financial. And it would not surprise me by the end of this decade if they took off in another run with a different a different group of players, because that's that's really the way it's set up. But there are a lot of good teams out there, uh, and Galway would be one. Good, the Galway brand is huge; it really is. Mm. And my understanding, even the money they raised between the All Ireland Football Semi Final and Semi Final was phenomenal. So there is 
there is a lot to tap into for the likes of Galway. And if you if you switch to hurling, I mean, look how well resourced the Limerick hurlers are as well. So a lot of the better teams may be resourcing themselves better. Dublin probably got a jump at the beginning of the last decade in that regard, but a lot of a lot of counties are resourcing themselves a lot better to be competitive. So maybe maybe the gap just won't won't be as great. But I wouldn't be surprised at the end of the decade if another group would take off. Mick, at a glance, you would look at Mayo and Donegal and say that the 2022 season rubber stamped end of eras, uh, respective eras for both. How true is that? I don't agree. Um, certainly not in the Mayo. Um, on, on, on the Mayo topic I mean look a lot of that is going to be down to the management that they put in place and the same for Donegal I mean, Donegal you know the thing the, the refrain about Donegal all the years has been that you know terrific players getting to a certain level not quite getting to the next level mm. um, that hasn't changed like I mean the, the, the players are still there you know Michael Murphy obviously is getting a, getting a little bit older but you know the players are still there I mean it's funny actually the Mayo one you know and you, you hate to be the guy to mention it but like Mail have the squad. If you look at if you look at the the system that's coming in next year, yeah, injuries and all that kind of stuff is going to be a real is going to be a real issue. The one thing that's always held Mail back has been just the lack of maybe that eight nine out of ten player, a couple of nine out of teners, a Conor Callaghan, a Clifford, Shane Welsh, you know. Uh, someone like that, and I, I appreciate that these are generation players I'm talking about now. But I, you, you, you know what I mean. Just mm, that little bit yeah. extra class, right? But they're going to be coming back next year with Tommy Conroy and Ryan O'Donoghue, who weren't there at all this year, and Killian O'Connor, who should be a lot fitter than he was this year, uh, given the injury he, he's recovering from from last year. So I mean, they're going to be enormous boosts to them. And the one thing you'd say about the Horn, the latest Horn era, mm. is that he evolved that squad. There's an awful lot of good seven to eight or ten players there. That if other teams start picking up injuries, and even if Mayo do, and have they proved it this year again, that when they pick up injuries, they are able to maintain a certain level. Uh, and if they just get a little bit more luck with the injuries, this Nick, this this next year coming, get the right management team in. I don't think it's an end of an era for Mayo at all. Okay, it's a little yeah. bit, it's it's a it's a little bit like um, I mean what Colin mentioned there, and, and you were asking about about Dublin. I mean the legacy of all this stuff is a bit like Mickey Hart with Tyrone twenty odd years ago. The legacy of this stuff is that you're always in the top four. So Tyrone will always be in around the top four or five with a shot at winning All Ireland, and Dublin are the same. And that's what Kerry have done down the years. Kerry don't really do empires like. They win, they win all Ireland's at a fairly regular trot, like, but they don't. Like, Kerry have only done, I think it's two four in a row and a three in a row. You know, it's all ones and twos, and they're never that far away kind of stuff. Mm. And that's what all, that's what you want as a county. You just want to be in the mix every year. Mm. And that's what Dublin will have. That's what Toronto will have. And again, I think if Mayo make the right appointments, that's what they will have. They'll be back in the mix again next year. Yeah, Morris, that's a very strong argument to Mayo. I couldn't agree more, to be honest. Yeah, the only the only counterpoint I suppose is you're looking at both Mayo and Donegal, and you're saying they're again not that I'm rushing to retire anybody here, but uh, replacing Lee Keegan or Michael Murphy is not going to be an easy feat. But from a Mayo perspective, there's huge scope for improvement. Like absolutely huge scope for improvement. Even to go back to Mick's point about James Horn, he, he bloated the likes of you know Young Callahan or Irwin. These are two highly touted underage players who had a great twenties years. They'll come in and add to a, already you know a production line of athletic halfbacks coming into the team. You bring back O'Donoghue, Tommy Conroy, and suddenly you've got the bones of Jordan Conroy or Jordan Flynn, sorry, was carrying an injury all year. So the scope for improvement there is absolutely massive. And again, you know, they're probably going to have their face fairly stiff competition in Connacht, as we mentioned earlier. But 
I, I think if you're looking at from a male perspective, you'd be fairly optimistic. The only thing is now to get this disappointment now, Joe, is, is crucial, really. You know, it is absolutely crucial that they get get it done and get it done probably early. It was interesting. I was thinking back on it this morning uh, during lockdown when we were all bored out of our minds. I listened to um, a sport and coaching conference at the Sports Ireland to the coach conference with Paddy Talley. And during that conference, he said that he thinks at no point ever in Gaelic football has what the, what's going on on the line has had much impact on Gaelic football. He, mm-hmm. So he, he and he's now he said I should stress he said this is not in an arrogant way, but the level of tactical awareness and coaching that's going on now has never been more important. And he meant that in terms of this is not a thing that happens the night before an Ireland final. This is months and months in advance. So from a male perspective, that's the that's the big crux factor there. But if they get that appointment right, they could absolutely be in an Ireland final next year. Uh, Morris on the Talchin Cup then so generally deemed a success Westmead beat Cavan in the final I don't know what the viewing figures were like I don't know what impact it had on the public at large I don't know if maybe that's all that important in year one so what are we saying of the Talchin Cup? It probably is important in a sense Joe just in terms of to see how Westmead celebrated locally I'm talking about here celebrated yeah. that trophy that there was a, there seemed to be a real value on and I think that's something that will be bought in to be honest I, I think the GA deserve huge credit for the way they sold that competition there was probably a lot of um, I thought there was a lot of complaints before the competition had even started about what the direction of it and how it would be promoted but you know there was they stream, we're talking about streaming they streamed nearly every game they organised launches in Crow Park definitely before the competition and definitely before the final I think there was one other one as well um, they did interactive videos they sat down players and did all the, the usual stuff that seemed to get people to, to buy in so the competition was success teams by and large bought in um, the games were very competitive which as Mick mentioned earlier is the most important thing so from that perspective you couldn't I think it's been a, an overwhelming success really you couldn't have hoped for much more and as I say it's in year one there are of course there are kinks but they'll, they'll be ironed out you know the, the north and south and people's grievances around that the fact that I know Andy Moore was pretty vocal about the fact that they wanted more games we're going to get all of that next year yeah. this was a, a year one in the project so from that perspective I think you couldn't have hoped for much more really Yeah Colm I guess uh, the only kind of uh, well, maybe complaint is the word is it does you know it, it probably struggled to, to, to punch its way through and, and grab headline attention on any given weekend really well that's the nature of it, it probably you know it's like the like the maybe not like the, the FA Cup but the League Cup or something like that it just it is it's uh, it doesn't really sustain in the, in the memory for too long because it's not mainstream and that's that's the nature of it but uh, it's it turned out a good competition. You would have to say it was better than in most expectation of it. The uh, the final was a very good game. It's not a repeat a repeat business. Uh, the Talton Cup. That's the only thing. I mean, Westmead won't be. They obviously can't defend it, but they won't be setting out to uh, to retain it anytime soon. And that's the nature of it. Uh, I was, you know, at the start, at the very outset, people were complaining about the uh, promotion of it. But how could you promote it when you didn't actually know what teams were in it? So from that point of view. They caught up, setting aside the semi-finals for a Sunday afternoon certainly helped it. It was the only show in town to for Cavan and Sligo and Westmeath and Offaly. I think other other counties like Down and Fermanagh will look at it and say, well, maybe we want a piece of that action next year if if we don't win or get promotion from Division 3. I think teams will reconcile a lot easier with the fact that there's a competition there, there's a cup there. I think maybe some counties were a little bit sniffy of it this year that they didn't... Uh, didn't want to put their noses too near it, but I think that will change. Morris mentioned Westmead celebrations. Certainly Cavan grasped it too, and while they didn't win it, it did be, create a bit of a stir in that county in the week leading up to it. You could see that, and even the the numbers, the crowds that that were that were there as well, certainly, and the, as the curtain raiser for the semi-final, you could see there was interest 
big interest in both counties. I think it's probably back in the early stages of it where where it suffers. And when you think that the the hurling the hurling quarterfinals were uh, were relegated to a Saturday, now they've been on Saturdays before uh, in the past, but uh, they were relegated. So it was a big sacrifice for the GA to make to put the semi-finals to give it to give it a profile, and obviously. You know, to have a, a contribution of sixty thousand to a holiday fund and all of those things, um, they did put a lot into it, and they got a lot out of it too. Uh, as I said, it's not for repeat business. I don't mm. think even Cavan, if they didn't make it out of Division Three, would have a huge appetite for it next year. And that's probably ultimately where it will fall down over a period of time. I think in that teams won't be spoiling ever to to win the Talton Cup. Until they're at, it's not one you can ever set out to uh, to win. And I think in in the case of those who've been to finals, there won't be a huge appetite at the time from the same group to go back and try and win it again. Yeah. Unless unless they, they, their their aim will solely be to obviously progress up the divisions in the in the league. Mick, we'll proceed with the next talking point on the general accepted understanding that nobody cares about the lot of journalists, but. This year was definitely a year where media relations seemed to take a nosedive and we didn't hear from managers all too often and media days seemed to have by and large dried up. Is that a situation you see improving next year and beyond or is this the new reality now? I think it's been the reality for a long, long time, really. Um, was it not worse this year, no? Um, I know what the lads think. Like, I mean, I, I remember when I started out in this caper, like, you know, in the mid-late 90s, there was there was plenty of restrictions as well. I think what probably what the difference is now, it's, it's more structured restriction. You know, there's a, there's a hell of a lot more kind of control and there's a hell of a lot more uh, layers that you have to go through to even reach a player, you know, that kind of way. Mm. Um, you were always kind of, you were always kind of working ahead maybe a week or 10 days or whatever in the olden days, as, as you'd have to call them now. Um, but like, you know, it's just forget it. It's just completely and utterly forget it. I mean, last year, Last year was the first year I went through a season without interviewing a single player until after the championship. Right. Um, this year, this year managed to interview a couple. All right. Um, but like you know, like as you say, I always think this is a little bit like Tombo making sausages. Like you know, I mean, no one, no one apart from the lads who are working in the factory really care no. as long as as long as it comes out the other side. But at the same time, I suppose the wider issue on this is that when you have a condensed season. And when you also have a situation where a lot of media is now focusing digitally and you can see exactly what people are reading and not reading or consuming, that will have an impact on your GAA in inverted, I hate the word, I'm not even going to say it, your GA coverage. I was going to say content, I hate that word. GA coverage, right? So if it's the case that the GAA and counties and teams restrict access to players, managers, the the, the people that the public may want to hear from, that is going to impact on your coverage. It's going to reduce your coverage. Uh, it's going to. It's 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 just going to. It's it's going to affect uh, from a GA perspective, from an overall GA perspective. It's going to affect how your product is promoted out there. Uh, and on a wider issue, I, I I think it'll probably end up. It could end up costing jobs down the track. But that's a long. That's 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 a completely other different conversation. You know. Yeah. Fellas, we have to begin to uh, bring this to a close. Time is against us. I guess uh, the managerial merry-go-round now is uh, very much in full swing and lots of significant appointments to be made. Colm, no doubt you're very interested in Colm O'Rourke's appointment. Meath at the... Uh, well, he went for the job three times. I don't know if he went for it this time, but we'll call it fourth time of uh, asking or fourth opportunity. And they've de- decided, what, uh, at 65, uh, Colm O'Rourke finally ready for this job? 
Well, he's managed a lot of teams over uh, over a long period of time. His his own club, Simonstown. I think he's been he's managed Simonstown four times in the last two decades, and he's had success county championship back to back with a, a club that had never won it before. He's obviously kept his hand in with schools as well with St Pat's. I think he's always been senior manager there, but it is a big leap for for Colm to make into senior inter county management because. It's a hell of a lot different than what it was when he, when he was a player. I I wasn't surprised he was in the frame. I know he didn't commit to it. I know he said, I certainly don't recall him going for it three times. I might recall it once in 2004 when he put a blueprint in, which he would do the job of a number of other changes, which were very broad and wide ranging. Uh, he, he certainly did go for it. And Sean Boylan was actually still in place, but the county board knocked that back. It was far too radical right. at the time. It's it's a given now. In fact, it would probably be it would probably be antiquated what he put in then. And he did go for it 2013, but I'm not sure how wholeheartedly he went for it then. Because um, I think if he did really go for it in, in any time in the past, he would have got it. Okay. It's a big jump for him and he's coming in at a time when expectation in the county really isn't all that high. The only reason it would heighten is because he's there now. And I was listening to yourself and Liam Hayes talking and Liam was very, very enthusiastic about Colm taking over. The fact of the matter is, I'm not so sure the players are in the county to make any real sustained progress that people would expect from an appointment uh, like this. N- next year's Division 2, they have Dublin, Derry, Kildare, an improving Cork and a clear team that knocked them out of the championship on top of top of Limerick and Loud. That's, that's not easy for me you know, they were pretty close to going the other way this year. Um, so they have had a little bit of minor success, but that has never translated into under 20 success. It's an amazing record that they've only been, an amazingly poor record that they've only been to one under 20, 21 final in 21 years. And they haven't won that. Dublin beat them in, I think it was 2014. I mean, the club scene is not good either. Right. You haven't had, you haven't had a mead, you haven't had a mead uh, team in a Leinster club final for uh for a long, long time. Uh, 2004, if I recall, was the last time. So that the club scene is not great. The uh, production line from minor to under 20 isn't great. But Colin will create a very, very good environment mm. uh, for teams. He's a great communicator. And I think if he puts a, a decent backroom team on top of the two selectors he has there, he can make some gains. But I wouldn't be... I wouldn't be too expectant of it, I have to say, because I'm not so sure over the next three three years whether the, the material is there to make those gains. Okay. But you look at Armagh, you, we were talking about teams there. Look at Armagh. Armagh's underage success hasn't been great, but you know, slowly but surely Kieran McGinney has brought them round. He's you know kept them in division division one again this year and reached an all Ireland quarter final and took Galway to extra time and look where Galway are. So they haven't been bursting at the seams with underage success either. So there's probably a template there for the likes of Mead to be able to follow in their terms to to get the most. But it's going to take a lot of time. Okay, fellas, we are out of time. Thank you so much. That was great. Mick Foley of the Sunday Times, Morris Brosnan of the 42, Colin Keyes of the Irish Independent. Appreciate it, fellas. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks, Thanks, Joe.